This is the Horse Radio Network. Well, hi, everybody. This is episode 518 of the Stable Scoop Show on the Horse Radio Network. It's our Equestrian Roundtable Show. Our sponsor this episode is Arena Saddles and you, our listeners. I am Glenn Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of the Horses in the Morning Show, the longest-running daily horse podcast in the world. And I just wanted to give a quick thank you to a couple of you who wrote to me this week and said that uh, now that they love the Roundtable and it's become their favorite show on the network. So I appreciate that. We have fun doing it, for sure. Uh, I want to welcome you. We do this twice a month, and we kind of try and mix it up each time with different panelists and different topics. And uh, I think we have a really good one for you tonight. We have authors with us tonight, some very popular equestrian authors. And they're going to talk about how you can get started writing your first book and getting out there. This is kind of centered around you and your aspiring dreams to be the great novelist. Um, I can't write worth anything, which is why I talk for a living. Uh, People keep saying I should write a book, but uh, I would have to get Lisa's help with that. So I'm going to be your host and moderator, and I will have opinions occasionally, but mostly this is going to be the panelists leading the way because I don't know anything about publishing a book. And if you're watching live, welcome. Please post in the comments your name and where you're from, because we can't always see the names. So we would love to see that. If you have any comments or questions for the panelists tonight, post them in the comments. They see the comments, I see the comments, and we will ask your question before the night is over. So this, if you miss any part of this, it will be out in the Stable Scoop podcast feed tomorrow morning. And it will also be out in the Horses in the Morning for our Thursday show. We didn't have one, so we're going to put it out there. Um, so you you can find it in the Horses in the Morning feed as well if you miss any part of the live show. Or you can just come back and watch it on Facebook Live, too. Either way. So as I said, we have a roundtable made up of authors, and we're going to introduce them in just a second. But first, I have to mention that there'll be another live feed tomorrow night. We're going to be doing a cruise promo and Q&A. Our Horse Lovers Cruise is coming up in February 2022. We, we're doing our longest cruise ever, seven nights, on one of the largest ships in the world, Harmony. And a representative by the name of Nate is coming on from Royal Caribbean, along with Michelle from MEI Travel. Nate's going to give you guys tomorrow night at 7.30 in all the rooms we're broadcasting to now. So where you're watching now, you'll find it. And he will be talking about, uh, he'll be giving us a virtual tour of the ship and then answering a lot of questions that were submitted about the cruise and payments and COVID and all of that. So he's going to be answering the questions tomorrow night, and I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you can join us live, that would be terrific. Well, let's introduce our panelists now, somebody I've worked with for years. She has co-hosted Horses in the Morning with me. She is the host of the Horse Nutrition Podcast, might I add, the award-winning Horse Nutrition Podcast presented by Purina. She is also an author, a motivational speaker, a clinician. She trains horses. She does therapeutic riding program in Tennessee, and she's a uh, registered path instructor. There's not a lot that this woman doesn't do, and I want to introduce my friend, Lisa Waisaki. Hi, Lisa. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. So good to have you on and see you. Thank Normally, you. when we do shows together, it's audio, and I never get to see you. I know, I know, and I'm I'm a little damp today. I just came in from giving a riding lesson. It's a little bit drizzly here in Tennessee today, and uh, so I threw on a a dry shirt and a scarf. But I'm I'm feeling the dampness. If I'm so if I'm squirming, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> you could have changed clothes before you came. I out. didn't have time. <laughs> <laughs> so so Lisa does a series of books, the Cat and Wright Mystery Books, and uh, we've been fortunate enough. I've been fortunate enough, along with my co-host Jamie on the Morning Show and Horses in the Morning, have been in three of those books and. We're, took a prominent role in this last book. Actually, so was, four of the books, Glenn. Four of really? Them. Yeah, you've been in four. Were we in the first one? No, but there's five books out now. So you've, oh, you've done right. four of them. And yes, just Jamie uh, might be the murderer in the fifth yeah, one. Yeah, you have to check that one out. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, uh, by the way. Shameless plug. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, uh, we'll talk more about that a little bit later on, but you're, you also have written a lot of other books and you have ghost written books and, and mainstream books, not just horse books, but other right. books. Right. Uh, so, uh, you have a lot of experience with the publishing world and that's yes. why we have you here. Yay. So Lisa's here. Also another good friend of mine, Ben, uh, 
I have known this woman forever, like I think everybody has through her books and her characters, but also personally, she's super fun. We've spent a few we spent a few dinners together that were long and uh, had a good time behind the scenes also. And that is our good friend, Jean Abernethy. She uh, illustrates the Fergus books. Fergus the Horse, a, a bunch of books there. Um, I'm going to bring Jean on and then I'm going to show. Hi, Jean. Hi, Glenn. Good to see you. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Jean. I don't like... Oh, I just moved my camera. I don't like Jean's books at all. I don't have any of them right here. <laughs> That's just the ones I could find quickly on the uh, on the bookshelf. I have like three of them here, your Fergus books. How many books are there for Fergus? There are five now. Five. Uh, yep. I have the other two. I just didn't dig that for <laughs> Yes, the fifth one is, is 20 Years of Fergus. Do I have that one here? 20 Years. Oh, wow. shameless plug. Yeah. 20 Years Thank of Fergus. Know. Can't believe I've been doing it that long. I know you have been doing this a long time, and Ferguson really became popular with social media too, with your cartoons that the individuals uh, cartoons that you've done on social media with Facebook, yeah. and some have that's, gone very viral. And that's what really set it off. Yes, the social media. All those are nothing, though, compared to this one. This was the best cartoon that you've ever done. I'm showing this to the live listeners. That's my co-host Helena and I and Fergus. That was a art, one of these uh, live shows that we did that you drew this, <laughs> I have to hide myself, you drew this during the show, and it, by the end of the show, it was done, and we actually sold them, we auctioned them off, sold like five of them, and, and raised $1,000 for the charity that night. <laughs> so that's my favorite one. I think that's your best cartoon yet. And you did it in like an hour. <laughs> it's crazy. Something like that. Yeah, we kept checking in on her to check the progress. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed that. Uh, oh, Carol's here. Carol, Carol's here, and she had bought one, and she says it's on her wall. So there oh, you go. Very cool. It's my favorite thing. I have it directly what I look at every day when I'm in the studio. So thank you for that, Jean. Uh, so we're going to talk more about your books and all, all of the stuff you have going as well. And you're coming at it from a little different point of view, too, because you, you've done art for many other books as well. You've been an artist for books, for other authors' books. Yeah, first yeah. and foremost, an illustrator before I had any books of my own, yes. Yeah. So that brings a little different light to what the topic tonight, too. And then we have uh, Natalie Keller Reinert coming up, and she is, she's in Florida now, but she has done many series of books. Uh, and you might know her from the Eventing series. Uh, she has five books, I think. We're going to check in with her. And she also does the Show Barn Blues and has written uh, many books there. She's a, a freelance copywriter, a social media manager, well known in the equestrian world. World. Hi, Natalie. Hello. You're right down the street from me, aren't you, in Orlando? I am in Orlando. Yeah, that's what I thought. Poor Jean stuck up there in Canada, and uh, they won't let her out. So, <laughs> Hey, I like it here. <laughs> so, Natalie, you've done how many equestrian-related books now? It's a lot. Right before you introduced me, I thought, oh, no, he's going to ask how many I've done. <laughs> um. And I think it's maybe 14 in that general category. Um, I just released the sixth book in the Eventine series yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, What's it called? It is called Prospect. I don't have it to show everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it has an event horse on the cover. So imagine, if you will, a galloping horse. And that's okay. on the cover. Um, I can imagine that. We just watched uh, Land Rover over the weekend. I saw a lot of galloping horses. So yes, was it's the, fresh in your mind. Yes. Was it, were they in the rain on your cover? Uh, was galloping horses no, in the rain? That, no. <laughs> I, I feel like that would be really difficult with like um, the printing process. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be really, it would have specs. Um, so all of my, my horse photos are dry. Um, although I could do looming clouds which would be exciting so I do like to books. Mm -hmm. what do you you know you've been lazy huh <laughs> i honestly i've written a most like my my output has really gone up in the past year because um the pandemic kind of reshaped my lifestyle and it actually was an opportunity for me to move into full-time writing um so i have i i think i've put out three full-length books since december Wow. Um, I didn't write all of them in that period of time, like 
but over the course of the past year, I think I've, I've put out four or five uh, full length books and a novella, something like that. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. So Natalie knows a little bit about what she's talking about as well. And you do some self-publishing too, right? Haven't you done self-publishing in the past? Me? Yeah. Yes, that's what I do. Okay. I do self-publishing. That's what allows me to move books out so quickly. Got it. So mm-hmm. we have a self-publisher. We have Lisa who works with a publisher. Jean, you work with a publisher as well. Yes. But I think you've self, you obviously self-publish because you do the cartoons and stuff too. Um, so in a way, you do both. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting perspective tonight. So let's start with the first and hardest question. This uh, whole night's uh, focused on people who want to get into this. What is the best way to get started publishing your first book? There is an open-ended question that we could talk for four hours about. you got 15 minutes. Let's start with Lisa. Oh, gee. Um, So uh, a couple of things. One, I would suggest that people learn the business of publishing because it is a business. Um, And one of those things would be choose a topic that, where there might be a hole in the market. So if if there's, you know, 14,000 uh, equestrian vampire romance novels out there, maybe you don't need to write the 14,000th and first one. So find find a hole, uh, that's, have, have something that's a little different, something that's unique, um, and then write every single day. Write every single day. Um, some people are what I call pantsers, meaning they write by the seat of their pants and other people are planners or plotters. Um, Figure out what style you are. Uh, If you plot out your book, learn whatever genre you're writing, um, what the expected word count is. So if you're writing, you know, um, uh, a mystery, which which is what I write, you're going to write between, you know, 70 and maybe 85,000 words. So if you're book comes in at 110,000, it's going to be too long. The reader isn't going to expect a book that long. So um, those are those are the top things that I would start with. Natalie? You wanna... So I'll take it back a little further than that. Um, let's say that you have an idea for a book. You've just had this idea in your head for years. For me personally, the hardest part of moving from I have an idea for a book and I want to write a book to physically doing the work, um, was it in the big picture publishing bit as much, which Lisa described beautifully, um, it was in figuring out what a book was. And I'd obviously read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books over and over again for the most part. When I reached that point, I'd actually worked for Barnes & Noble for a really long time. My husband worked for Barnes & Noble. We were people that literally had entire uh, rooms devoted to books. Um, and I still struggled with that concept of what is going inside of this? What is this structure supposed to be? And the hardest part for me was figuring out that I had to solve a problem with my book because I love settings and characters so very much. Um, with books that have no plot tend to lose readers pretty quickly. Um, so when you're thinking of writing a book, you you need to find your problem and then you need to make it a big problem, an awful, insurmountable, horrendous, life-ending problem. That's the stakes of your book. Um, and that is, that's going to be the heart of it is everything else, like finding the right length and all of those things is really, really important. But the, the first bit is what's my problem and how do I make people care? And that's going to tell you a lot about, what genre you're going to write. Um, And that's going to tell you a lot about who you're trying to talk to when you write it. Um, I think that that's going to help you obviously write your outline because you have to outline and you don't want to outline, but I'm telling you right now, you have to, you have to listen to me. I'm on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It can be a really light outline. And sometimes I'll be honest with you. I'll write three or four chapters before I outline because I just like my idea so much and I like the people I thought of. But eventually you have to make a problem and then you have to solve the problem you made. Is that true, Jean, when you're doing kids' books? Do you, do you have the same process? What, what's your process? Oh, I wish I could answer that better. Uh, but I can answer it. I think, Glenn, um, It comes down to the first thing for me, because my first book was an anthology, right? My first book was a collection 
and others worth of work. So for me, the beginning is make the book. You know, somebody that has an inspiration to write a book, well, write the book. I would also say have authors in front of you that you aspire to, learn how to use language. I guess what I'm trying to say is that little cartoon, maybe some of you have seen it, where, where Clevis the mule and Fergus are hooked up to the wagon. You're looking at them from the front view. And the caption is, do good work. It's the best job security you'll ever have. So for me, the foundation is, first of all, make something good. And if you know in your core that it's good, you will find people to help you get through the process. All right, I'd like back, to, can I jump in? Up. Yeah, go ahead. Just yeah. real quick. Uh, I'd like to jump in on something that Natalie said. And so I write both fiction and nonfiction. And with, with nonfiction, you do have to outline very heavily because you write a book proposal before you write the book. And that, you know, that becomes your Bible or your, you know, your, your business plan for the book. And if you are going the traditional publishing route, your agent and editor and publisher are going to need to see that and approve, you know, the chapter summaries and all of that. Um, while I wish I could outline my fiction, I don't. <laughs> um, don't tell people that. I know. I know. <laughs> they're terrible. not going to outline. It's terrible. So, <laughs> so I, I typically know who the murderer is and I, and I, I have the insurmountable problem with my character. Um, but I, I don't know how to get at the beginning from the first to the end. And I, I've talked to Glenn about this. It's like this, the characters like speak to me in my head um, and get me there. But I wish I could outline my fiction. Yeah. My characters will leave. They will go to another time zone and I will simply be like in the middle of the book with nothing left. Like, <laughs> see, you, when you, when you write a book, you're approaching from the, the problem right? And that's the part I have to reach for. So we're almost like opposite writers mm -hmm. in that respect. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the so let's back up a little bit. So I, I have these ideas for a book. I don't, every, you know, every book has a style, right? Every author has a style and there's a million different styles. Do you even know what your style is until you start writing? Are you, are, do you kind of figure out your style as you go? Anybody, anybody can jump in on that. Uh, oh, I never worry about style because it's going to change all your life anyway. Mm. I find that with the artwork. I mean, my work is primarily artwork more so than writing. But when I look at work that I did 10, 15 years ago, I think, oh, wow, look how that's changed. Mm -hmm. So I think the best thing, at least in my case, is work on what inspires you. Crank out the quality that you want and you'll watch your own style change over the years anyway. Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, Jean, you hit on something really important that you have to write about something that you're really passionate about or that you really believe in. And you have to believe in your characters and your problem and your setting and um, the whole concept because you're going to spend a lot of time on this book and yeah. you have to love it all the mm -hmm. way through and you have to love it 10 years after you're done with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It takes a real commitment. I can see a difference in my writing style when it's something that isn't quite there yet for me, like emotionally, it's much more formal. Um, and I strive, I really prefer a book with a very casual voice. Um, and a lot of times my initial first half of the draft will just be really, really rigid. Like I've just been reading Jane Eyre and I'm just sort of channeling all of that. <laughs> Not so many commas, but um, and then it takes a while to 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 loosen up, and then some some other projects that just come and it's loose from the beginning, and you just feel oh, this is just a joy. Um, you know, writing style is a funny thing because there's so many writers I admire, and I wish I could write like them. And then I read my stuff, and it all it's all kind of similar. I go, yeah, that's how I write. That is my style. And you're right; it changes from ten years ago, obviously. But the voice of it, the feel of it, I have to accept that I write the way that I write and I don't write like some of my heroes do. Like if I could write like Michael Chabon, that would be amazing. But I don't write anything <laughs> like him, not even close. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's good to have somebody to aspire to. I mean, I think that's really important. I know sure. for me it is. What do you think, Lisa? 
Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I I just really, you know, I love the Dick Francis books. And and when I first started, I wanted to write like Dick Francis. And of course, you know, nobody's going to write like Dick Francis. Nobody's going to write like Natalie. Nobody's going to write like Jean. Nobody's going to write like me. So you do have to find your voice and, and, and find your style and accept that that's, that's who you are and that's what it is. And your own voice is, is very unique and special and, and you need to just embrace that. Where do yes, people get? So. Where do people get into the weeds in their first book? You know, where 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 do they end up getting stuck? You know, I I do a lot of freelance editing also, and I think both fiction and nonfiction. And I I find that a lot of people uh, with their first book can't carry the idea forward in a coherent, logical manner. And they get lost in the middle. And this is where Natalie's idea of and, and mandate of, of <laughs> outlining really does come in handy um, because you know where you're going. And I think a lot of times books will fall apart after the first half of the book. How hard is it as an editor to tell the author that their book sucks after the first half? Um, well, I don't put it exactly that way. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this, and, and uh, I, I edit a mystery author who is an award-winning mystery author right now. His name is John Miller. Um, he's from Albuquerque, and he's a criminal defense attorney. He's got, I don't know, over 10 books out right now, and, and but he has ADD, and, and so he a lot of times will, will have his character uh, getting out of a Mercedes, brushing lint off her black power suit, walking into a a Starbucks to get coffee and then she comes out of the Starbucks and somebody whistles at her red suit and she walks to work. And I'm like, John. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so as you know, it's like, you have to be a little tactful because, because the writer ego, I think is a little bit fragile, but, but also, you know, um, sometimes an editor needs to come down hard on, on the author um, to, to kind of get them focused and, and, yeah, movies have those people too, the continuity people, right? They have people hired specifically to make sure that they're wearing the same shirt and, you know, two different scenes, you know? So, yeah. 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 Got it. Got it. Well, good. I, yeah, I think that's a good start. Let's, um, let me talk a little bit about our sponsor and then we'll go right to the second question. I did notice that we lost the feed that was going to the auditor room and I went over there and posted, they're not hearing this. So I went over there and posted that, uh, they need to move out to one of the other rooms. Apparently StreamYard is having a problem with feeds going to private groups. Hmm. They just don't seem to last very long. So uh, hopefully you all have found us over on one of the public pages. Well, we are sponsored today by Arena Saddles. Arena Saddles, the perfect in any arena. They're available in dressage, jumping, and all-purpose models, all classically crafted from beautiful European leather. With meticulous attention to detail, you will turn heads in any arena with the confidence that your saddle is comfortable for you and for your horse. Whether you're nailing your canter transition at sea, perfecting a five-stride line in the three-foot division, or galloping the countryside with wild abandon, there is a perfect arena saddle for you. Go to arenasaddles.com to learn more or to find a retailer. That's arenasaddles.com. All right. I asked you guys, and this is going to be hard, and you probably have already touched on it, so maybe you can come up with two others, but I've asked you each to put two tips together that you would give to new aspiring authors. Uh, Things, you know, I often get asked, if I had to go back 12, 14 years now, and what would I do different in podcasting than I did? And my answer lately has been, I made a mistake in that I relied solely on one avenue, and that was... Uh, for for income through podcasting, and that was advertising, I should have had another something to go with that, whether it was books or whatever it was, right? There should have been a side hustle there to go along with the podcasting from, and that's what most podcasters do now. Uh, We didn't know any better then, but that would have been what I learned, you know, years ago that I should have done differently. So Natalie, do you want to lead this one, your two tips? Yeah, um, my first tip is to make notes constantly. Um, And while I'm not one of those people that wakes up and jots things down because I would just be up all night, um, I use the notes app in my phone constantly. I have full outlines. The other night I was walking the dog and I didn't have my phone. And I literally had like a complete, not a complete book idea. Friends, I had a complete series idea. (laughs) And so, and my husband was, was, was talking and I was just like, okay, I have to get home. 
I have to keep this in my head. And he's still talking. And I don't want to like say, Shh, I'm thinking of a book, but <laughs> he's really, really close. And so we got home and I just threw myself down on the couch. And literally we watched two episodes of Parks and Rec. And I was writing series outline the entire time. Like you just have to be ready. Um, <laughs> you need to start carrying sidewalk chalk with you when oh you go gosh. for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Florida, man, it rains every day. Oh, that's but, true. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, um, you know, the more you do, the more you do, right? So the more you treat yourself and keep these ideas and push these ideas and keep jotting them down and expanding them, um, the more they just keep coming. And I have yards of book ideas that I've written down. A lot of them have nothing to do with horses, so I don't know what I'm going to do. It's a whole other story. But making notes all the time, I think, is just really, really great way to school yourself. Um, and that whole like writer's block thing, it won't, even, it won't ever come up because you've got plenty more to write. You're just going to keep your brain ticking, ticking, ticking over. So that's my first tip. Okay. <laughs> well, Lisa, why don't you do your first? We'll, we'll go around here. Um, well, I agree with Natalie on on the notes thing, and I also use my phone app, and it's mostly to um, work out plot points or or different dialogue things or different things that come up, you know, in the story that I hadn't anticipated. Um, my first thing is get a subscription to the Chicago Manual of Style, and most books are written in in a certain style. So newspapers, for example, use Associated Press style or AP style. Most books are written with the Chicago Manual of Style. And you can get an annual online subscription. I think it's $39 or $40. It's not expensive at all. But they'll, you know, they'll tell you, okay, you spell out all the words and and most of the titles are lowercase. And, and um, so that way, if you're, you know, when you're getting ready to do the final edit, you're much closer to having a finished manuscript. Um, it, there's a forum in there that you can connect with other writers about certain, you know, questions you might have. And you can also connect with the people at the Chicago Manual of Style. Um, it, I'm on that every single day, not just as an editor, but as, as an author. Oh, I didn't ever knew it even existed. See? Yeah. <laughs> Jean? I think uh, the more... First, uh, mine too is keeping notes, like Lisa and Natalie. Absolutely, keep the notes. I would say keep a sketchbook, but that's for the artist part. Same thing. Um, I think though you need to create engaging first and foremost to yourself. Something that comes from deep down inside of you. If you try to write a book that's going to please an audience or please this detail or please that segment of the reader, you just, you won't gain anything. You have to make something that's engaging for yourself. And chances are, if you're really enthused about your own idea and you shape it with some skill, it's going to be engaging for somebody else too. It just is. Mm -hmm. So that would be my tip. I have uh, perspective podcasters ask me all the time what, you know, I, I, I want to do a podcast, but I don't know what I want to do a podcast about. And my first comment is then don't do a podcast if, unless you're passionate about what you're talking about, because you're going to be doing it all the time, yes. week in or week out. You're going to be preparing for it. You're going to be putting eight to 10 hours into, you know, prep and post-production and you got to love it or you're not going to stick with it. You're just not, you got to yeah. be so passionate about it. Yes. Yeah. Or you're just not going to be successful. You, well, you know, what's that? a friend of mine wrote, inspiration isn't happy till it has you by the throat. <laughs> I like that. I need to put that in my wall. That's, that's a good quote, Jean. Can you cross-stitch that? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's a good quote. in England wrote that. We need T-shirts with that on, Jean. Yes. Can we seal that? <laughs> awesome. No, not mine to give you. It's, it's actually part of a poem. A friend of mine in England one of the first three women in England to have her flat racing jockey's license. Oh, wow. A brilliant friend. She wrote that. That's... Don't steal it from her. <laughs> jockeys would know that, too, because they have to live it. You know, they're living yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Natalie, number two? Oh, yes, that's right. I had a number two. Um, <laughs> um, my second one was asking people to ask themselves what they really want from their book. Um that goes back to what Jane's talking about with uh, with your inspiration and your passion. 
you might want commercial success and to become a full-time author, um, or you might want to pay for feed, or you might just really want to write this book and get it off your chest. Um, and that makes a big difference in what you're going to write and how you're going to write it and who you're going to let read it. Um, that's kind of how I got my start was I wrote a book that I needed to get off my chest. And when I was done with it, I said, well, I want to be a professional writer. I've always wanted to be a professional writer. I don't think this book in its current form will get me there. And I'm not willing to change it. Um, and I decided to let people read it to see what people thought of it. And it found a little home. And it's it was the first book in my Alex Racing series. And now it's the second book because I wrote a prequel to it. Um, but it touched a lot of people, um, and it's it's a very raw and messy book. It's it's very short. Um, the print is very large to make it feel paperback. Um, but it's touched a lot of people really, really deeply, and it's because I decided not to compromise. This was the book that I felt, not the book that was going to make me successful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so you can do that. You have the right to put whatever you want into a book. You have the right to charge whatever you want for it, too, by the way. Um, and what people do with that on the other side, it's, it's going to be up to them they find themselves in it or if they think it's terrible that's up to them right they gave you five bucks for it um so make yourself happy first and foremost really dig deep and say what do i need to say and can i say it in a commercial way or is this a very personal thing okay so i'm going to follow up that uh, what you just said with a, another question and that is how important is it now can you be successful as an author in a one-off situation, can you even build a brand or you're going to have to do two or three or five books to build a brand? Lisa, you want to take that one? Um, well, I think to build a brand, you certainly have to have more than one book, but you can be very successful just with one book. There are a number of authors who, you know, have had one book and then 10 years later maybe came out with something else. Um, and and I think going back to what Natalie said, you know, if if you have, if you're a one book author, put everything you have into it. You know, I know a lot of people who just want to write their memoirs so that their grandchildren and great-grandchildren know what came before. And there's a lot of beauty in that. I think that's awesome. Um, and uh, But you still want to do it in a way that is readable and that is engaging and that is compelling for anybody who's reading it. So, um, so I think that um, you, can, you can build a brand, um, but not just with one book is that's just my thought unless unless you have the other components like you talked about Glenn unless you have you know the podcast and the speaking engagements and and you or know you're the a website. celebrity going in exactly right, exactly yeah. and you own that that individual right. market yeah. and and um, you know that actually kind of ties into um, my second tip which it yeah. which would be to go to every book fair, book festival, writers conference that you can possibly go to. There's they're all over the country if you just did uh and in Canada too, Gene. <laughs> so, so maybe someday uh, in Canada they'll well, let them yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah, you can actually go to them and, and a lot of them are virtual now. But you can learn and you can meet other authors and you can um somebody's phone. Yeah, that's um, Gene's I think. Okay. Yay Gene, you're popular. <laughs> um you can learn um your genre, you know, if you want to write your memoir, you want to write um, a book about, um, you know, an experience that happened to you or something, you can you can meet other people who want to do the same thing. And that's very empowering. And you can also meet agents and editors and, and just learn about the business um, about that. And then, again, going back to what Natalie said, learn if, you know, is this something I'm really passionate about? Is this something I really want to do? I would say the same thing for podcasting. The podcasting conferences are terrific. I mean, you you learn, and I still go, and I still go to the sessions after all these years, and I still learn something every time. And I still have my list. I write it down. I have, uh, it's the only time I ever write anything down, Natalie. Um, so uh, I write it down, but I make notes because I know I'm going to forget by the time I get at the hallway. Uh, and I just have, 
when I go to a conference, I always have a goal of taking one thing away that I'm going to take action on within 24 hours. I don't say 10 things because I think that's unrealistic. I don't even say two things in my case. I have one thing I'm going to take action on in 24 hours. And those one things have changed the trajectory of Horse Radio Network over the years from going to those conferences. And it, But it's an attainable goal for me, one thing. You know, if I had three things, I wouldn't do anything because it's not attainable for me. And I think that's something else you have to know as an author or whatever you are, um, is you have to know what your attainable goals are. Mine are going to be different than Natalie's. They're going to be different than Lisa's and Jean's. Uh, and you just, you, you have to limit yourself to what's attainable for you because then you're actually going to do it. If, it. if you make something that's up here and you know that you're, you're in a situation where you have ADD and you're only going to be able to do here, do here. Because if you have this as your goal, you're not going to do anything. That's the, that's the fallback for people who feel overwhelmed, right, is they don't do anything. So, you know, any, Jean, do you have your number two? My number two tip? Yeah. Well, it was, it was the keeping notes tip. Okay. It was the keeping notes tip. And keep that, keep that little, well, for me, often it's a sketchbook. But, um, yeah, keep that beside the bed because if you have an idea in the wee hours – if you don't write it down, it ain't going to be there in the morning. So that's, let's talk about what I found, particularly for, for concepts for little three-panel comic strips, the little short panels. You know, you get an idea, you get a question and answer, a punchline, and that won't last until morning. i got to write that down. Hell, Jean, so, it yeah. wouldn't last for 10 minutes for me. What are you talking about? <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Natalie's over there shaking her head. She's like, I'm not making it an hour. <laughs> I honestly, I need a better solution for shower ideas. And also, she was going to buy me some, like, waterproof crayons because I have to jump out of the shower and, like, put wet fingers on my phone to put in ideas. So that's a whole other Those topic. are the best ideas. I know. They're so when, good. But sometimes, you, you get know, ideas in the shower, water. pay yeah. attention. Yeah. Shower ideas. They're like stall mucking ideas. You just can't beat them. Yeah. I've written songs mucking stalls, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit, uh, and then uh, we'll get to the, my final official question here. But let's talk a little bit about publishing. How, Lisa, at this point, you know, are you self publishing if you're writing your first book, or you, could you get lucky and get a, you know, a publisher? I think it depends on your platform. And so publishing in the traditional world these days is about your platform. And that means your social media reach. Are you also um, speaking or are you doing Zoom calls with hundreds of people on it about your topic? If you're writing a mystery about quilting, are you active in the quilting industry? So my Cat Enright books are, you know, horse related. And so I'm pretty active in in the horse world. And a lot of people know who I am. So I have a big reach. And that's why a traditional publisher was more interested in me. If you don't have that platform and you're not doing the um, the broader based things like tying in with a podcast, tying in with um, you know regular Facebook lives and all of that, then I would suggest doing the self publishing route. But the caveat there is. From a reader standpoint, you purchase a book, and and I think both Jean and, and Natalie can can relate to this too. Is it, from a reader standpoint, if you purchase a book that's poorly edited or poorly executed or poorly formatted, you're going to be disappointed, and you're not going to go back to that author. So, as a self-published author, your editing, your cover design, your formatting has to be just as good as any book that comes out from St. Martin's or Simon and Schuster or any of the big publishers. Nat Natalie, do you do you agree that you should have your books professionally edited? Do you do you get them edited? I personally don't find any challenge in putting out products that are as good as anything the big publishers put out. But you know what you're doing, and I do it for people. Yes, but, um, but lots of people are very successful at that um, because the that information isn't behind walls. Graphic designers are easy to come by. We're all designing for thumbnails now. Um, mm -hmm. You know. There's the biggest difference, I think, at this point between a big, like a big five publishing cover and a, an independently published or an ebook only publisher is uh, the big five still like to do very color heavy, font heavy covers because they're still designing for shelves. Mm -hmm. And everyone else has moved on and knows that 
we're designing for ebook covers. And I do You're think designing for a hundred pixel yes. picture that people yeah. see, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're trying to get a, you're trying to get across uh, a concept of the book that you can't do just by, well, this is going to be shelved out on, on a Barnes and Noble shelf because my publisher paid for it to be shelved out on the shelf. And so it can just be like red and black and white or whatever. It's got to have some essence of what the book is to make it stand out from everything else on that page, on that person's phone, right? Um, so the, now the, the traditional industry is very quickly catching up over the past year, right? Because the ebook industry gained like 10 years worth of ground, I think, in the past year, something like that. Um, But there's so many people to help you along that journey. Um, There are editors, like Lisa. There are proofreaders. There are programs. uh, There are formatters and book cover designers. Yes. Um, I do both of those things for folks, and it's great. It's a wonderful collaborative process. um, And we put out wonderful products. So it's all available to you. We have these, you have the same equipment and the same programs as everyone else. It's just, um, you really do have to avail yourself of everything that's available out there and not cut corners. Yeah. I just think, you know, if, if this is your first book, you need to have some expert guidance as to the cover and to the editing and, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, get that proofreader, you know, in. and maybe the proofreader isn't your aunt Edna, who was a librarian. Maybe it's, you know, somebody who's, you know, more into the book industry. Um, so not that the librarian's not in the book industry, but she might not be an editor and she might just be, um, biased towards you and and not give you the editing that Mm -hmm. you need. Same thing we say with podcasts. When you put your first one together, you can share it with family, but don't listen to anything they say. It's all wrong. They're just (laughs) going to tell you what you want to hear. That's what they're telling you. (laughs) And honestly, feedback in general, you you really have to be clear with the the people you're giving your book to um, about what your goals are with the book. Because if you wrote uh, if you wrote an adult fiction book and you give it to your friend that writes, you know, middle grade, there's, you know, their, their feedback is not necessarily going to be what you were looking for. And you don't want to get sidetracked and be disappointed in your product because you went down the wrong paths. Does that make sense? So a lot of, uh, a lot of authors, um, go through different routes, trying to find people who will just read their book ahead of time. Um, maybe it's Facebook friends, whatever, and just say, tell me the parts where you're bored. Tell me the parts where I repeated myself. You know, it doesn't even have to be professional. You just keep sending it out there. Keep getting more and more feedback. And when you're ready to send it to somebody professional, then you know you're sending them literally the best version that you've got so far. It shouldn't be the first version. It's totally okay if it's the 10th. That's a yeah. good point. That's yeah. Good yeah. I have a question for Jean and, you know, I'd, I'd just be curious to know when you send your book in to your editor, do you get a lot of feedback? Um, because, you know, your, your cartoons and your, your images are kind of what they are. Um, but do you get a lot of feedback? Do they ask for a lot of changes or, or do they just say, Hey, we're glad to have another Fergus book. I do. My first, uh, my first book and my most recent book were very, very different from the middle three because they were both collections of comics. So there was more writing for me to tell about my process and yada, yada. The three children's books, however, they, they did a lot of back and forth with me. Uh, Rebecca, who is page designer and copy editor, uh, we started with the Ferguson, the Greener Grass. I got stuck in the middle. I didn't know how I was going to end that. I got to the point where Fergus jumps over the cliff, and I thought, oh, what the hell is he going to do now? <laughs> he just died at the bottom. Now what do I do? And, you know, that was tough. That was tough. And, and finally, I, you know, it put wings on him, and off he went. But, um, <laughs> no, I had to roll that around considerably, and there was quite a bit of editing with the Christmas one, too. Of you know, at one point Santa was caving in through the roof of the house, and that just didn't quite look right. So <laughs> it took some figuring out. So there was quite a bit of back and forth on some of those. I, do you do have I, to redo I, the whole drawing then? That whole 
Sometimes. You know, yeah. Every, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Depends how much we change the idea of, you know, what we want to do. Oh, no, we can't do that. So whole different concept. So right, yeah, just, there's only quite a bit of back and forth with that. I just saw the time, and I want to have time to get to the final question. So, all right, um, let's talk a little bit about you guys. Let's start with Lisa. Uh, Lisa, so where can people find your work where, and what you do? Oh, in stores and online everywhere. Of course, lisawysaki.com. Um, and uh, happy to hear from, you know, readers or uh, anybody who has any comments. Just uh, email me through the website or, or uh, lisainfo at comcast.net is always a good way to, to get a hold of me. Um, but I love hearing feedback and I love hearing, um, you know, from, from readers. Everybody has... Um, I, who has read the Cat and Write books, I think, is kind of invested in in the storyline now. And, and uh, they all have their opinions as to what the characters should do. And uh, that's always interesting to me. And we don't have any other announcements, right, at this point? No other announcements at this okay. point, other other than we're working on Cat and Write 6. And, okay. oh, we do have an announcement. So Cat and Write, who is my fictional protagonist, and I are writing a horse training book together. And... Um, it's been taking a little bit of time because her training ideas and mine don't always mesh. So we're, we're having a few arguments along the way. And does anybody die in your horse training book? <laughs> Not so far. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Not so far. <laughs> you had me worried there for a minute. Yeah. Uh, Natalie, how do people get your books? You can get my books anywhere you like to get books. Um, the paperbacks are available through all major retailers, um, and the ebooks are available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. And audiobooks are in existence for the first four of the Eventine series. Oh, and cool. The additional audiobooks are on their way, they're in production. So eventually. Do you do the voiceover? I don't. Um, okay. The first four were actually done by an audiobook publishing company, and they had a lovely narrator, um, but we are working with a new narrator for the new ones. Just somebody with fiction books, um, uh, the, a lot of the consensus is, is trained actors to do voices. Um, and yeah, I don't want to do a guy's voice. That would sound so silly. I was like, oh, yes, Jules. Uh, I think you should train the horse this way. That's not. I'm I not think that was perfect. That. It'd be I'm, great. I'm, I'm maybe. Maybe I'm missing my money. I don't know. I thought, you know, honestly, I, I, I looked into it. And it's just it's a lot of time. I'd rather write more books. It so. takes a lot of time to it record does. a book. Yeah. It and it would wear up my throat, my whole thing. So, and by the way, yeah. I agree with you. There are guys that are women, both that are really good at it, uh, mm -hmm. and they just can do the voices, and they can keep the voices straight in their head of what sounds like what. Because after a while, you know, you've been reading this book for days, and yeah. it, you get mixed up in the. It's not easy. <laughs> no, I'd rather I'd find that out. And if I can just add yeah. at my website, you can yeah. get a free book. Yes. Very good. And your website again? Do I have that right? Yeah, it's NatalieKReinert.com. If you have any trouble finding it, just type Natalie Keller Reinert into Google, and I promise I will turn up. Very good. All right, Jean, where do people get your books? Where do they find Fergus? People can get Fergus at JeanAbernethy.com, also at FergusTheHorse.com. All the titles are available on Amazon, and to support a small business, by directly from the publisher, horseandriderbooks.com. Yeah, we love Horse and Rider. They're one of our favorite groups to work with. We've worked with them for 12 years now, and they've They're been fabulous. so terrific. They really have been. And, uh, yeah, if you go buy them there, that would be great. Uh, and uh, I wanted to mention also that we are going to be doing a little road trip this summer now that uh, Jennifer and I have our second vaccines in arm, and we decided that everybody wants to get out. I've been wanting to do this for 10 years. We now have an RV that was a COVID RV along with everybody else. Um, but we're going to do five weeks on the road. We're going to hit the road starting the end of July. And one of our first stops, our first stops are going to be, we're actually going to be staying at listener farms. We're going to hit 14 states. We're going to probably be at about 20 different farms. And one of those places we're staying is with Lisa. Yay! So, 
<laughs> but also one where Lee says, we're going to put on a concert with Templeton Thompson and maybe a few others. We're waiting for confirmations now. Yes. But we're going to do a Templeton Thompson concert. It'll be live and in person, and we're also going to put it out so everybody can watch at home. So, um, yeah. But that'll be a fundraiser yeah. for Colby's Army, which is your therapeutic riding center. Yeah, and so, everybody's yeah. going to get to come for a tour at Colby's Army before the concert, which is going to be a lot of fun. We'll have prizes and uh, refreshments. And we do have some special guest artists in the works, which we can't announce quite yet, but it's very exciting. Yes. Well, you do live near Nashville. So yes. There's yes. that. I did hear that Carrie Underwoods has been booked. Is that correct? Darn. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. For <laughs> some reason, we've never gotten Carrie Underwood on the show. I no, 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 not, it won't be this time, but yeah. But we'll, but we're we'll have very fun. excited to have Templeton and Sam will be there. Yes. Uh, they're friends of ours for years. People love hearing Templeton, and, uh, and I'm excited about the other potentials that might show up. And it will be a fundraiser also for, for Colby's. And it's one of our first stops. So doing a concert out to the world, one of our first stops. It's kind of cool. Uh, I love that idea. And then we're going to be heading to Kentucky. We're going to be heading to Ohio and Michigan. We're going to be doing trail rides places. We're going to be doing meetups all across the country with listeners. And we're going to be doing different types of meetups, dinners and barbecues and uh, people's farms. And we're also going to be doing a video component. We're going to be doing our shows on the road but with our mobile studio. But we're also going to be doing a video component and putting out travel videos once a week. So that'll be Jennifer and I's chore uh, to put out engaging travel videos. But you'll get to see other other people's farms and their horses, people that you may have met through Auditor Room or listeners you've heard on the shows. It's, I, you know, everybody wants to know what other people's farms look like. So that's, I think these are going to be popular videos too. So that's all coming up in July. Or July into August, all of August, so five weeks on the road. Uh, I think it's going to be 2,500 miles total that we'll be wow. putting on during that time. All right. The final question, guys. Uh, what are the emerging genres in question writing and how do writers find overlapping audiences with more mainstream readers? Lisa, you said earlier, you got to find an area that maybe hasn't been covered a lot. Uh, it's same in podcasting too. We always look for what's the niche that hasn't been attacked yet. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I think if, you know, if you're, if you're a quilter, um, you, you need, and you're writing uh, mystery books, um, Get involved in the in the quilters and bring the quilters into the mystery and 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 the mystery into the quilters and you know I write mysteries and I you know I I have a dual audience with the mystery readers and the um, and the horse people and so you know you're constantly trying to reach out to that my my readers also tell me that they they read the books for the location so a lot of people are very interested in in the Nashville area so I get readers who pick up a book just because of that. Um, Book four was set in Minnesota at a at a racetrack there at Canterbury Park, and so I have a lot of Minnesota readers now just because of the location. And as far as um, um, the hot genres and and areas, my my agent and my one of my publishers tells me that young adult, no matter what you're writing, is is hot right now. And a lot of adults are reading young adult, which really is. Um, a young adult character, say between the ages of eighteen and twenty-two, in young adult situations, but it's it's written as an adult novel. So, um, thanks, Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. right. <laughs> Which Natalie, I think is more middle grade, but but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, old adults like us. We're st- I, she watched made me watch one of the movies again last night for the tenth time. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Natalie, you did a niche within a niche. You're, obviously, horses is a niche, but eventing is a niche within a niche, right? So, uh, it, it, is niching important? That particular niche is not important. Horses as a niche is important. Um, the the I cover lots of different riding styles in my books. I have actually quite a lot of racing books. Um, and then I have one of my most popular books is literally just about an adult amateur rider learning how to ride again after, you know, quitting for college and early career years. Um, so that's just a book that people really, by really the way, that's to. three quarters of our audience. Is exactly. The yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody, almost, almost everybody does it, right? At some point, you you listen to your mother who said, go, go to college and get a real job, yeah. real jobs. And, uh, and you quit writing and you think, I'm never going to get back into this. And, um, and you're wrong. You can get back into it. That's the cool thing about horses. So I wrote a book about it 
and uh, people quite liked it. So, and that's, that's, it's really uh, discipline free. So I wouldn't say that your niche as a discipline is super important, but I do think whatever discipline you write about, you should know a lot about because the, all equestrian readers are discerning readers. They will not stand for anything that they do not like or agree with or that is flat out incorrect. So what equestrians have opinions? What are you saying there, Natalie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the meanest Facebook group you can find and then lift a paragraph from your book. Don't actually post it, but think of it and think, what would they say about this paragraph? <laughs> That will tell you. <laughs> they you bring a bottle of wine when you're doing that. Oh my god! <laughs> For real. But if you want to, uh, if you want to sort of take people with you, then there are. You can always look at the the really booming genres, and um, there's lots of information out there about what's popping right now. Like right now, um, for people who read romance. Cowboy romance is huge. Inspirational cowboy romance is huge. So those play right into equestrian themes. Um, one that really interested me is beach romance is really big. Well, I can take horses to the beach. I live in Florida. I know all about the beach. Um, so you can take story ideas that you've got and try to widen your reach a little bit by seeing how you can adapt those settings, just like Lisa was saying, geographical is huge. How can you adapt the settings of your story so that it really enriches it for this much, maybe not much wider audience, but a bigger audience because everybody counts kind of thing. Um, because we are, equestrian as a category tends to get limited to young adult. And my books are all categorized under young adult, but they're mostly about 20-somethings and some of them are about 50-somethings. So... Um, it's a, it's not a widely known adult genre, but people want that. Gene, do you have any comments on this one? Obviously, you're a niche. You're you're an artist, but you also do a lot of illustrations for other types of other niches of books. Oh, I do. Uh, pretty much a hundred percent is in the horse industry. But yes, I've done technical drawings, how-to drawings. I'm working on a, a a polo illustration book now, as a matter of fact, and it's all realistic techy stuff, which is a lot of fun. But um, in terms of the content that you crank out yourself, I think uh, there again, it's got to come from right down inside of you. Some of the earlier comics that I did, you'll notice a lot of Fergus comics are just about what's going on in the barn. It's not about a particular sport. It's not about a particular breed. And in the early years of cartooning, I made a concerted effort because if I can sell a cartoon to a thoroughbred magazine and then turn around and sell it to a standardbred magazine and then take a scalpel and cut off some of the gray tone and then sell it to a paint magazine, <laughs> <laughs> then I can maybe make something per hour at my drawing board. <laughs> so You're yeah, right, though. I mean, it is true. I had, to. I, I had to survive. If I only did thoroughbred cartoons, I'd have starved to death by now. It, there's a reason oh. that Stable Scoop was our first show, and it was a very general show, and Horses in the Morning is our most popular show, and it's a very general show, yet some of the niches sh shows have the more adamant audience, audiences. They have the more yeah. engaged audiences uh, for the niche shows. The Retired Racehorse Radio comes to mind, you know, those kinds of yes. shows. Um, whereas yeah. the, you know, Horses in the Morning is so broad, but yet it's still a niche, right? People it's outside of our world look and say, how can you talk yeah. about horses every day for 10 years and not run out of material? And sometimes yeah. we wonder that too. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, In the early years, I didn't want my cartoons to get into a niche of a niche. I, j I couldn't even go there. But um, I did a lot of specialized ones. I did a lot of work for the standard bread industry back in the 80s when that was big. But, um, you know, I think you got to keep it general. I, I like to keep the jokes where everybody gets it, not just horse people. Cool. Well, good, guys. We've run out of time. Look at that. Yeah. Believe it or not, an hour goes by pretty quick. Uh, let's run down through again. Lisa, where can they find you? Mm, LisaWysocki.com and Wysocki is W-Y-S-O-C-K-Y. And Natalie? NatalieKReinert.com. And Jean? FergusTheHorse.com. 
thank you guys so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to hang out with friends on a on a Wednesday night, and uh, I hope that uh, people go out and buy your books now. Go out and buy the books. I got. I have my share of books right here. <laughs> Natalie, I need you to send me your latest one, apparently, because um, I, I don't have that one here. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. <laughs> I have the rest of them. So uh, also, if you missed any part of this or if you were one of the unfortunate people that were tuning in from the room that got cut off, uh, you can go back to Stable Scoops podcast feed tomorrow morning. We'll have this out there in audio form. We'll also be putting it out on the Horses in the Morning feed in the morning as well. Uh, we thank you for participating and hanging out with us tonight. We hope everybody learned a little something. And uh, Carol and Kathleen and Mandy and uh, uh, Reese and a whole bunch of others were here. Jacqueline, Rebecca, Sandy, uh, Donna, Rachel, thank you all so much for, for joining us. And I know there's a thousand other topics here that we could have covered. Uh, and you can reach any one of these authors. They're very open. If you need help or you need an editor or whatever that is, then just go to their websites and they're more than willing to help. I know I've asked them questions at times too. Uh, and that's it. Remember that we have 20 other shows in the Horse Radio Network. You can find them all at horseradionetwork.com. We do have our own app as well. You can search in the iOS or Android app store for Horse Radio Network, and it just gives you an e easy, quick place to find all of our shows and listen right there. Well, until next time, everybody, happy scooping.